A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Dead poor hitter coming at you with another 2021 slash 2022 looking back and forward NFBC style with Dave Chauvin from NFBC Sports Edge. Uh, Dave is um, a player of the NFBC who's been around for a very long time producing both content and playing um, in the high stakes NFBC world. Um, He won two main event titles last year. And we had an awesome talk. Dave gave tons of information on, uh, you know, how to up your game, how he evaluates players, and how he constructs teams. Um, again, awesome talk. Uh, I think he he provided ton of uh, valuable information and insight into um, how he became the player today, and also some great um, history. Uh, evolving from how he got into the game and um, where he is now. So uh, another awesome episode here for you guys to listen to. And um, we are two days away from Thanksgiving. So um, just hope that everyone has some time that they share with either their friends or their family, um, whoever they choose to spend the day with and just shares in, you know, some happiness and uh, really just think about all the good things in their life instead of, uh, you know, the bad things that are surrounding us and just, you know, really focus in on um, the things we have in our life that we could celebrate and give thanks to um, rather than think about all the things we don't have, which we're, you know, prone to do at times. But um, so I hope everyone has a wonderful um, Thanksgiving day and, um, you know, Make it make it worthwhile. Cherish the the moments you are with the people you love. Um, yeah, and um, hope we will coincide with a little baseball forecaster PDF drop from Baseball HQ. I'm super excited to dive into that. Um, it's a annual ritual to break into that during uh, Thanksgiving time in early December year. So if you're not uh, familiar with baseball hq or the baseball forecaster it's just mandatory prep for the year great to dive into that book uh, before anything's really out otherwise and then um i think in a couple of weeks we'll also get the process from jeff zimmerman and tanner bell which should also be a must must read for everyone um, who's playing fantasy so um with that out of the way let's get into episode with dave All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob DiPietro, the dead pull hitter. My special guest today is Dave Chauvin. Dave, how are you today, pal? Doing good, Rob. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to be on here. 
Oh, awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I'm glad um, you were able to take some time out. You know, I know everyone's busy and they got to think of doing their life. So when anyone says yes, they want to come on the show, I feel like it's great. Um, as you know, you know, I like to dive into the NFBC um, standings and talk to some players who have been having some previous success um, and won two, two main events last year. Um, both teams came in the uh, top 36 uh, overall. So I uh, figured, you know, let's pick this guy's brain a little bit and see what's behind, uh, you know, the curtain over there. But, um, you know, I know you're involved in the in the uh, fantasy content world, in the analyst world. So I just wanted to, you know, um, introduce yourself to the uh, listeners, tell them where to find you on Twitter and just give me like a little background of like, you know, how you started playing fantasy and how you got into the space of uh, creating content for the fantasy baseball community. Yeah, sure. Uh so on Twitter, I'm just at Dave Chauvin, uh, S-H-O-V-E-I-N. Uh, as far as getting into the fantasy content world, I've always had uh, a real interest in writing and providing fantasy content. Like even before I was writing anywhere, I would, I would do write-ups of like, you know, home leagues I was in and just things for my friends. And they always said, you know, you know, try to spin that somewhere and get into it. So uh, I actually got a gig writing for the Hardball Times, okay. uh, which is kind of a spinoff of Fangraphs. And that was in the off season before 2011. So, you know, back in the day wow. and they kind of gave me free range to write about whatever I wanted, which was awesome. You know, I would do kind of the traditional stuff like sleepers and busts and draft prep and strategy, uh, some NFBC stuff, things like that. Uh, it was kind of just a small gig, though, didn't really pay anything, but it did get my name out there and got me some exposure. So after that first season, I did that. Uh, kind of reached out just on a whim to some of the major content providers in the industry, uh, gave them some writing samples, a little bit of my personal story, my background, just hoping to get my feet in the door somewhere. And so I sent off all these emails and just crickets, nothing at all. Yeah. So like, that's pretty much what I expected. I didn't expect, you know, any of these people to respond to me like, who am I? Why are they going to, you know, just call me up and say, Hey, we want to give you a job. <laughs> so that, that was after the 2011 season, I kept writing for the hardball times in, I think it was either January or February. I get an email from a guy at Roto world and he's like, Hey, um, you know, we might have an opening for a part-time gig. If you want to write some player news blurbs, uh, you know, try it out. We'd be you know, happy to have you. So I said, yeah, that's awesome. Like I read your guys stuff all the time. I've probably read, <laughs> written, uh, read everything you've had on the site for the last you know, 10 years already. So yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, fast forward to now, I just wrapped up my 10th season there with them now NBC sports edge. Uh, and it's, it's been a blast. It's, it's really awesome. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's, um, that's, that's, that's some travel path and that's, that's great that you've been that, you know, there for that long and, 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 you know, especially like you said, like reading, reading, reading website content and then being able to work for them. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. So when you when did you start playing fantasy baseball? Uh, so I, I love this question, and I, I love hearing the responses of the other guests that you've had on to this. This is yeah. This is this is I think my favorite non so I, I like, strategy question. Yeah, I guess my story is probably a little bit unique. So I've always had like a real just deep love and passion for baseball for as long as I can remember. Uh, always been very analytical, been fascinated by baseball statistics, you know, ever since I got, you know, baseball cards when I was four or five years old and, you know, memorizing and comparing stats with my brother and things like that. So I was always really knowledgeable about the game. I mean, I was seven or eight years old. I could probably rattle off the entire 25 man roster of every team in the league, give you a full breakdown of every player and their skill set. 
awesome. also always kind of had a little bit of social anxiety. Like even when I was a kid, always had difficulty like starting and carrying on conversations with people, uh, especially people who weren't like in my immediate circle. Uh, except when it came to sports and specifically baseball. Like if someone wanted to talk baseball, I could go on and on and on for hours and just everyone in my extended family knew this. And they knew that if, you know, they wanted an informed opinion on something baseball related, they'd come to me. So this was way back. It had to be like 1992, 1993. I'm in second or third grade at the time. So I'm eight or nine years old. Uh, and my uncle Bob comes to me for advice. He had joined, you know, this startup game, the CDM diamond challenge. You know, which is now in the, in the NFBC portfolio. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you put together a team of players, keep it under the $30 million salary cap. And he thought, you know, even me at my age that, you know, with my background, I'd be the person to talk to about it. So he gave me a printout of the salaries, asked me to put together a couple of rosters for him. And I mean, from that point, I've been hooked. Uh, I remember back then waking up every morning, racing to the front porch to get the newspaper, check those box scores and see how my <laughs> players were doing. Yeah. I mean, remember, this is this is pre-internet days. So right. any roster moves you wanted to make at this time, you had to phone them in and, yeah. and make changes. And then that's you get one of the stats. most fascinating things I hear from yeah. people. So you like, get, you'd, get, you'd get the stats and the league standings mailed to you once a week. <laughs> and you could see like other people's transactions and stuff. And it was it, it was awesome. So I, I continued. I played in that every year for I don't know, six, seven years. Uh, got to high school, finally started up some leagues with my friends, just, you know, sandbox. And then eventually Yahoo, uh, moved over there, but <laughs> I've been pretty much going at it full bore since I was like seven years old. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's, that's, that's deep. That's a lot of, uh, you got a lot of history behind there. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like it, it always starts like, um, you know, from obviously from the love of baseball, but I know the yeah. way I started too was from family as well. You know, it's just, uh, it just happens to evolve into something deeper. Uh, me and my brother used to always play Stratomatic when I was small, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and, and that game, the same thing, you know, it's like uh, just making lineups, um, you know, even drafting teams or um, like one of my favorite things to do is, you know, we, I think my dad would get a set like every five years or so. And, um, you know, when we had like, if there was a new player that didn't have a card, you know, and like trying to find the player who wasn't in the league anymore and making that guy's card. Yeah. And um, it's, it, it, it's funny, but when I'm looking for like, uh, like a similar skill set and, and players in fantasy that's what it brings me back to like it was probably my original like replacement level um you know um experience with finding you know like, who can i make david justice um and who can i make you know like uh, all these random rookies that i wanted to make great cards for you know but um that's that's sweet man so what about the nfbc when did you um start playing in the nfbc all right so uh was just finishing up college uh, at least my undergrad, and uh, I was kind of always looking for something more, you know, dominating my, all my home leagues was fun, but it really, you know, I thought it was great and wanted to test myself against, you know, the best, some real competition. Uh, I had gotten back into the Diamond Challenge again a few years prior, and I know you've probably heard stories about it, but they had this message board there where mm -hmm. all the top competitors in the industry hung out and trash-talked and just shared wisdom. I mean, Guys, guys that you hear about today, you know, Lindy Hinkleman, Vlad Sedler, Scott Jenstad, Emmett Rulin, you know, Larry Schechter, Dave Petrozello, all these guys just hanging out and competing in this one game on this 
awful internet message board. <laughs> uh, and somebody there one year mentioned the NFBC. So that's when I first finally looked into it. And I was like, yeah, that that's me. That's absolutely what I got to do. It's like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, so rather than just kind of jumping in headfirst with the sharks uh, or trying to find, you know, I'm a broke about to graduate college kid. I didn't have the money to step into anything big. Uh, so the first year, I think it was 2008, we did just a couple of satellites just to kind of learn the format, learn this, you know, free agent bidding system that I had never heard about and knew the intricacies of. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I did. We played a couple of satellites that year and did absolutely terrible, just bombed out of pretty much everything. But at least got to learn the format and just fell in love with it completely because there is a learning curve there. So then the next year was 2009. I uh, talked a few buddies of mine into going in with me and we split a main event entry in Chicago. I live in Detroit area. Uh, we drove, you know, four and a half, five hours to Chicago. And the live draft experience there just succeeded all of my wildest expectations. It was just, yeah. it was awesome. It's <laughs> something that I told myself, you know, every year from here on out, you know, I've, I've got to do this, provided that. I could find some kind of success and it wasn't, you know, completely bombing like that first year was. So then, uh, so that first year we did okay. It didn't go quite as planned. I think we took fifth in our league, like mid nineties in league points, which was good, but it wasn't enough, but it was mm -hmm. just enough to tell me that, yeah, you know, maybe you got the skills to do this. Mm -hmm. So, so I did that, went back again the next year thinking that, you know, I, I got this game. I competed the first year. I, I can do this. And just everything fell apart that second year. Uh, injuries, <laughs> underperformance, everything. I think we finished like 14th in the league to where, you know, my friends who had invested in that, like, yeah, I thought you were supposed to be good at this. Like, you know, we're, we're not going to keep putting money into this if you're just going to, you know, be terrible every year. So that really set it up. That third year, 2011 was like, all right, we've got to show some kind of profit. We've got to at least make a go of this or, you know, this is this dream's never going to work out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that year, thankfully it, it, it all came together. Uh, and that's, that's when we got our first main event league title was that third year. Boom. And I don't know if you remember that 2011 season, but it was absolute wild one that came down to that final day where there were several playoff spots in the American league that went down to like the final innings of the final game. Yep. And it just so happened that our fab pickup from that week, Robert Andino, with his RBI single to knock out the Red Sox in the last at bat of that last game, got us an RBI that vaulted us up that half point in the standings that got us that title. So wow. forever indebted to Robert Andino. We'll never forget that. <laughs> wow. Kind of going at it since then. Yeah. Look at that little, little baseball memory. Like you said, that you'll <laughs> never forget and just awesome. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's something that the head to headers don't get is that when you go this whole season, right. And it comes down to the, you know, to the last, the last at bat, or, you know, it's just, it, that's awesome. That's it, it just, it's a great, I can't imagine what it would like, not only feel like to win like that, but also to maybe lose like that too, you yeah, know, like with, sure. with everything hanging in the balance or losing by half a point on the last day. Uh, it, it's nerve wracking. It, sure. It was wild. I remember I had, I had both of the guys who were managing the team with me over and, you know, we just sat there and watched baseball all day. And, you know, when that happened, we're just jumping up and down and screaming in my living room. My wife's like, what, you know, what's going on? <laughs> like that RBI, that's all we needed. That did it. You know, we can do this. That's awesome. That, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and so it is, uh, 
Is the main event your your favorite format in the NFBC? Your it is. Favorite? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. for sure, hundred percent. Right. It's it, uh, it's, it's everything to me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So do you do you find yourself like <clears throat> putting more attention toward those leagues rather than the other one? Do you give every league? Well, do you try to give it equal time, or are you you definitely pushing main event more? I, I try to, but the mains definitely get get pushed to the top. They're the ones I'm thinking about, you know, all day, every day, and constantly right. and working on, and everything just kind of falls in line behind that. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I don't do many fab leagues outside of the main events. Got just it. because I want to be, you know, I, I, I have a busy schedule. I got a full-time job. I've got three kids, you know, I'm busy enough as it is. I, I really got to kind of limit the fab leagues. So it's right. like those two and you know, maybe one or two other ones that I do every year. Okay. So with fab, so like four or five, maybe Yeah. Uh, with fab. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good, that, that's a good amount. I think I had six last year or seven, seven. Um, yeah. And again, I, I think, I think I'm going to try to do like what you said, maybe cut it down or spend more time. I, I try to give every league its own love, but uh, I think, um, you know, I, I tend to find myself doing more main event work. Cause like you said, it's just more in your mind and it's just the biggest, it's, it's, it's the biggest league I'm in. So, you know, yeah, you got to, yeah. So, um, what what advice would you give anyone who maybe hasn't played PNFBC um, and might want to, you know, get, get involved in in um, in playing in it? You know, where can sure. they start? Uh, you you got to do it. You just you, you have to do it. It's it, it's the pinnacle of fantasy baseball competition. And, you know, that's that's not to be elitist and say that you know all the best players in the world play there. And if you don't play there, you know, you're not great because that's not true. Right. You know, there's great fantasy players who are playing in free leagues at home everywhere. You know, right. obviously there's monetary restrictions. Some people can't do it, but on the whole, I think just it's the strongest overall competition that you'll find. It's the best format out there and, and it's run by great people. Um, you know, there, there's, there's really nothing comparable in the industry to it. Uh, and you don't have to jump right in and play in the main event. I mean, right. there, there are options of, for people of all budgets, all league sizes, formats, whatever you want, but, I think once you start playing there, it, it, it's unlikely that you're going to want to play anywhere else. I, yeah, I think you just nailed it right there because once once I got a taste of it and 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 learned the website, learned you know how to really utilize all the tools on there, I was like, wow, this is CVS. What <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yahoo? What uh, it wasn't. Yeah. It's like a scramble to get rid of all those leagues you know but um yeah, I've, still got, I've still got a couple of home leagues one on yahoo one on cbs that i'm in every year and i just i hate going through and and doing the fab bidding there and right. things and it's just it's, it's awful <laughs> yeah the fab is is the biggest one i remember showing my brother you know how how the waterfalls work and everything and he was just like wow he goes that's so nice i'm like yep it's beautiful it's a beautiful yeah. thing getting all your list in it's just uh it's really wonderful so that's the other advice though like like i did you know don't just jump into something big play a satellite first you know go through a year figure it out the fab bidding don't just jump into a high stakes league and think that you can just figure that out on the go because there's a huge learning curve associated with that right yeah totally agree uh i did a second chance league in 2019 just to kind of you know learn it a little bit and then 2020 jumped into the main and yeah like you mentioned you know it's uh I got punched right in the face and it was but it was what I needed you know like I I felt like I wouldn't have got that motivation to 
to pour over the things I did if I didn't lose in that manner because it was yeah. you know a straight up awakening thing. Okay, yeah, well you need to you need to get to work. You know, <laughs> simple as that. You know, but uh, I think that's what we try to do every year. But it was really something that you know I knew I handled like uh, okay, well um, you know you got to pull your pants up and uh, keep going. That's it. <laughs> so um, let's get into some player evaluation. Um, I wanted to know you know maybe you can give us some insight into you know how you make your player rankings or you know do you use like a projection uh based um model or do you like to look at skill sets or more i know a lot of people you know um tend to rank players or look at players in different ways yeah uh so it's taken me a a while to get there but i think i'm finally at the point now where i have a, a you know a real process that works for me uh every year i get started on draft prep super early and it's usually before the current season ends Mm -hmm. and the day that the season ends I pull all my data from fan graphs you know all your traditional stats your skill-based metrics stat cast data just so I have everything in my spreadsheet ready to go for whatever I need it for Um, I've got a proprietary formula in place you know it's not super crazy like Phil's probably is but it does take all of the data that I find relevant from previous seasons, uh, apply different weights to different things, various metrics. And it does at least spit out a projection for next year that just gives me a starting point and something to work with. Awesome. Uh, the, the first thing I'll then do after that, I'll go through player by player and manually adjust the playing time because that's the biggest driver for all projections. Right. And really for success in this game as a whole is just accurately projecting playing time. Uh, once I get that in, so once I actually have some sort of projection, I'll translate that into project into rankings using SGP. Uh, and that's pretty much what I have to go off of for my super early drafts. And then, you know, once projection systems actually get released and start to come out, you know, I download that data and there is, you know, some of it that I incorporate into mine as well. So I'll pull that in, in some places. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice process. And I feel like it's a, um, the same way this year too, I, I, I wanted to just have everything um, in one spot and, you know, just so uh, I feel like every year I'm learning more and more of how to, you know, work a spreadsheet. Um, and so it, it's, it's good to have everything right there instead of scrambling around pulling up different sites and everything, but especially uh, during the draft, if you want to look at something, instead of having, you know, nine tabs open and trying to click here, 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 and here, like right. I got it all, you know, one spot, here's every possible stat I could ever want. And, you know, at the push of a button, I can just pull it off. Right. Right. Definitely helps. It, it streamlines everything and, and it, it keeps it nice and clean, uh, at least on your screen. You know, you're not, like you said, nine, 19 tabs or whatever it is, just, just going around, like fumbling around, trying to find something. Um, but that's, that's awesome. It seems like you got a nice, solid, um, you know, um, process in place. Yeah, I mean, while there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that I'm pulling in to the projections, you know, the, the main things I'm going off of and really looking at, you know, are pretty simple for pitchers. It's, it's strikeout rate. It's K minus walk rate. It's velocity changes, uh, you know, either from the previous year or in season, you know, changes in pitch mix and quality of contact. I mean, those, the simple things that everybody's looking at, that's, that's really all you need. Right. Uh, again, on the hitting side, it's, you know, plate discipline, exit velocity, uh, you know, both max and average uh, quality of contact, sprint speed, launch angle, distance, things like that, you know, like, right. right. it's really, um, um, 
something when you try to add a whole bunch of things where maybe you don't know how to, you know, factor right. in those, you know, things, it just gets a little too complicated. At least that's what I personally yeah, think, sure. you know, I like to keep it as simple as I can. Um, and I think it's important too, like, especially it, when, it, if you're first starting to learn all the new analytical terms and, and, and the new metrics, um, you know, I remember when I first started to really dive into a lot of the metrics, I didn't know exactly what they meant. You know, I think like, uh, I think we're always like in a race to like, just, just, just give me the answer. Just give me the rankings. And, and you don't really understand the process behind it or like, you know, what that metric means. And I feel like um, when I first started playing, I would like use two things that kind of incorporated the same, like meant the same thing. And, you know, I would wait that like double, but it was really, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I think that's important for everyone to, you know, understand, like, you know, read the glossary and fan graphs and, and, and MLB and and know what they are, like know how the stat is, 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 you know, is counted and, and what it means, you know, because uh, it gives you a better understanding to avoid, you know, any, things that I did at first when I started playing, but, um, <laughs> um, so you're, let's say you're in a draft. I know you're drafting right now. Um, so do you have something that you're using to, um, count your team stats? You have like an in, you know, like an in draft tracker, um, and other like things you're trying to shoot for, you know, I know a lot of people shoot for like the 80th, uh, percentile have team, you know, stat, um, I guess, uh, goal that they're shooting for are those things that you're doing during your draft yes and no uh i used to i used to be super rigid in trying to draft to those specific category totals okay but you know as years have gone by i kind of gotten away from that a bit you know i'm still tracking what's going on i'm you know i'm I'm entering players as i go off during the draft I, i don't use any outside draft software i just have this massive excel sheet that i use for everything i got a tab for each team and, you know, as they're making picks, I just put the names in, it crosses them off my draft board and also gives me, you know, the stats, projected standings for each team. Same thing most draft software is going to do. It's just in my own Excel sheet. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay at least in the neighborhood of my power and speed targets on offense. But aside from that, not really watching it too closely. Wow. Interesting. That's awesome. In, in season, I track it like an absolute, like a hawk completely, like all year long. I'm tracking that, that you know, 80th percentile and what I need to maintain or stay towards that. Interesting. But, yeah. yeah I, I, I know straight. that. Yeah. Um, I know when I had uh, John Posma on, um, he, he talked about like how he would, you know, figure out what his team was averaging per week and, you know, what he needs to do to catch up into the 80th um, yeah. percentile in certain categories. And, it was something like, you know, that I didn't even think to do at the time when I heard it. And I was like, wow, it's, that's fascinating. That's why I enjoy talking to everyone who, you know, who, who excels at this because it's, it's great. It's a learning curve for, for everyone. I think, you know, I think there's, there's, there's never a time where you could, you know, start learning new things. And it was just uh, something that blew my mind because I was like, oh, wow, I guess that's how you really, you know, focus in on a category and what you need to do to get there. Um yeah. yeah. So, uh, so kind of along those lines, you know, shameless self plug here. Uh, but one of the things I do at the end of each season uh, as part of my prep, as I do a real deep, like look back at the previous year and how things went and where I went, where, where I went right, where I went wrong with each team. Uh, but just a couple of weeks ago, I did a big write up uh, for NBC sports edge where I did a 
massive two-part breakdown of one of my main event teams, uh, the first one that came in first this year. And, you know, full breakdown of the draft, you know, what went, what went right, what went wrong, what I was thinking with each pick. But then, you know, more importantly, a week-by-week breakdown of, you know, how the team performed each week, what my category targets were, how I performed towards them, you know, how I wanted to try to correct or fix things there, and then a breakdown of fab for each week, like my thought process of what went into it, what I actually got, interesting pickups around the league, where I screwed up and where I should have done things differently. <laughs> but right. I mean, uh, I, I encourage anybody with any interest in it, check it out. I mean, a lot of work went into it, but just going through a breakdown like that and seeing, you know, what you need to track to throughout the season, I mean, it's just awesome. Right. Like I had, I, had I think like, you find out a lot about yourself too, like in the process, right? When you're really oh, ab- looking. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Major <laughs> mistake. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing when, you know, when I'm looking back at some fab and and just like, wow, like, who did I pick up and why, like, why, did, what was I doing on this Sunday, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, that's good. Um, I feel like it's important to kind of look back. Uh, I, I feel like I'm always speeding to go forward and like, you know, get ready for the next, you know, next year's draft that I don't do that. Um, probably as deep as I should, you know, I think it's just that in my brain, I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just get into a draft and just worry about yeah. this year. Oh, yeah. the hell year. Especially with this breakdown I did, like I, I, I point out, you know, many, many just awful mistakes that were made and this team still won a main event league. So it's like, you know, you can, you can make mistakes in season as long as you can correct them and, you know, do other things. Right. So. Right, right. I think that, uh, yeah, because I, I, I was talking to the guilds um, on the last show, and, and, and he mentioned how, you know, he's, he spent 400 Mayweather. on Julie, yeah, Julie Mayweather, and he's like, you know, a lot of people say, like, then you're doomed afterward, but, you know, it doesn't mean that you're doomed. Uh, so I guess, he, you know, it's interesting. It, it definitely mistakes or, or, or bad, you know, like injuries can happen, and it, you could definitely make up. As long as you're strong in the in the rest of the part of your draft and and the fabbing, you know, you, you, you can always uh, it depends how much you want to outwork everyone week to week, right? You know, that's that's the biggest thing with the fab. You got to put it in. Um, so that's awesome. Um, talk to me about how you evaluate prospects, um, especially like maybe right now in 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 a draft and hold draft that we're doing right now like you know how are you handling uh prospect guys for the most part i don't want them Mm. Um, i'm i'm the believer of give me old and boring uh stable production uh anytime over trying to find the next big thing especially in these really early dcs everybody's trying to gamble on all these prospects and they're taking you know eight ten twelve of them and just having you know dead (laughs) roster spots throughout the year you know, give me old reliable. Um, that's kind of my mindset. But even even with my mind being that way, you know, this past year I got suckered into Kalanick in the 13th round of a main event and right. just ate that all year long. So. <laughs> I mean, how many weeks did you end up really playing? I held, I held them all year. You held I, them all year. I never yeah. dropped them. Right. And I used them, I mean, I used them a little bit, more so down the stretch, but it was right. it was a dead roster spot for most of the year. Yeah, see, that's so fascinating, right? You could 
you could still win a league with 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 Kalnick, who you know who, I mean, if, like I said, he really didn't do much till the end of the year, and who this year right now is is a very interesting target. I think he did. He's in an interesting spot right now. Um, at least you know, it's just a while to see. Like you know, uh, I mean, he's had a he's had a year in, and and you see like Bobby Witt going so much further ahead of him. Right and in drafts this year, and it's just like going wow. in the third round of one of my drafts. That yeah, the that's, third round. The thir- <laughs> that's yeah. way too rich for my liking. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's tough. That's a tough grab, and like you said, you you know, it's a draft and hold league. You can't make fab. Uh, there's so many things that could happen that they can't even get. You know, might not even get up to the majors, and that's why it was one thing I was just looking back on all the prospects last year that were taken and even guys like Austin Martin went like hundred leagues and Torkelson went in every single draft champion. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, you know, that could be, like you said, an old, old steady, boring vet who's going to get 500 plate appearances and is always there as an it, option. It, it's great when you hit on one of those guys, for sure. It's great. Right. Right. hundred percent. If, if you're taking, you know, 12 shots on them and, and you hit one. Right. Not for me. Right, right. Just limit the uh, shot taken. You know, I, I think that's what I'll try to do is is usually just uh, if I'm going to take a rookie, it, it's later. And it's just, you know, um, at a spot where I'm just like, all right, well, uh, you know, this 47th round pitcher isn't really going to do much. So let me take a shot at like a Josh Jung. Like last year, I think it took Josh Jung and Jeter down. There's like really – the two guys I eyed like in the late forties, just as you know, possible call-ups and still then like they didn't do anything, but at least I'm not wasting a, you know, top 20 pick on um, a guy who never makes it to the majors, yeah. you know? Um, all right. So let's get into some of the league specific uh, questions. I want to start, start off with a draft champions and um, you know, just do like how your general approach to um, you know, roster, construction where there's no fab and um you know maybe like do you spend some extra time looking at the depth chart and like the league like the like the minor organization and who may call up and stuff like that uh yeah so for sure like i said i, I do place you know a much bigger emphasis on that guaranteed production uh i will take a couple of shots on prospects it's usually no more than a handful uh the first one that i did, did this year i think i ended up taking five of them one of them was a Early-ish shot, I did take O'Neill Cruz. Okay, uh, but it was in round nine. But it was in round nineteen. It was the latest he's gone in any of the you know seven or eight drafts that have gone already. So I feel okay about that. But after that, it was like Cal Rally in round forty-two, mm-hmm. and then you know rounds like 47, 49, 50. I you know took a flyer on a few guys. But what do you think in O'Neill Cruz um, plate appearance wise? What do you have him down for like four hundred-ish or four hundred, four fifty somewhere yeah. in there? I, th- I yeah. think they kind of, you know, they like to Brian Hayes go from day one. I, I right. think they could do the same. And he obviously has the tools to where he could be that kind of impact addition. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to take him in the top 10 rounds or anything, but, you know, in round 19, I couldn't pass on him again. I said, all right, you know, even though I'm the anti-prospect guy, I'll still, I'll still take a shot at that there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, yep. they don't really yep. have anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing aside from prospects, um, that, that I really kind of focus on in the DCs early on is closers. I know okay. they're all zooming up draft boards. Zooming. Yeah. But uh, 
I've I've always been closer early guy. Okay. I've always wanted one of the elite tier and then a second kind of proven stable guy behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, never usually been two elite closers. That's not really been my mantra. But uh, in the in the DC that I'm in right now, I started Trey Turner from one, and then double tapped Hendricks and Hater at the two three turn. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it's so nice though. I mean, you. I mean, <laughs> when you yeah, walk we'll away see. from it, I mean, we'll it looks beautiful. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How would you approach after that? Now, I mean, obviously, you know, you got to go and fill out all the all the offensive stats and the starting pitching. But was it something where you felt comfortable with once you got into the filling out part, or you were like, so, "Oh so, man, so far so good." It's okay, been all right, so far. I right. uh, was worried about the starting pitching because I'm usually also a starting pitching early guy. Okay. And I had already started with Turner. I'm usually a starting pitcher in the first round kind of guy. So I'm already starting with Turner and then I go two closers. I'm not getting an ace until the four or five turn. It's a little iffy about that, but uh, Lance Lynn fell to me there. He's a guy I felt okay with up top. Okay. Um, and then I got Trevor Rogers and at the six, seven turn. So decent start. Um, so, so far, so it, it looks good. And now I don't have to take a lot of late shots on closers. And so I'm just hammering bats, you know, rounds right. 10 to 20. Right. So, and, so even at the four or five, you didn't actually take two pitches. You still uh, went back to a bat as well. You took a lane and a bat. I did. Okay. Um, it was Javier Baez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always want, there, there now, were, there were a few pitchers that I would have gone there, but I didn't like. What yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Because um, I know you just mentioned you're a pitcher early guy. How do you feel about the first round landscape this year as compared to like maybe last year? Uh, it seems a little bit weaker now uh, for right. sure than I did going into last year. I think by the time spring rolls around and we see some of these guys healthy, you know, as always, when the main event rolls around, starting pitching is going to fly up the draft board. Right. I think it just really depends on, you know, where you are at in the draft. If I'm in the top third, um, I'm probably an offense guy right now because those top bats are just too good to pass up. And there's too many question marks regarding the pitchers. If I'm in the back half, I'm probably double starters. Um, I think the first draft I did, I was the 14 or 15 spot and I started Scherzer and Bueller and went from there. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this kind of depends on where you're at. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's a, I feel like there's there's an interesting pocket later on um, in the draft uh, that there wasn't yeah. like last year like the fifth, so much. Area. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like last year it, it was like first two rounds was really where I wanted to get some pitching. And then it was that like 90 through 110 with like Gaussman um, and Musgrove and they were in there. But this year it seems to be like, in the fifth and sixth round where they're hovering around fourth, fifth, sixth round, where it seems to be some pretty good value. So it's just interesting, you know, it's just, it's awesome to, um, you know, have, have an attack from last year. And then this year, it's just, you know, at least off the bat, it seems like it's a different route that I want to take. So, but on my brain is, is, is still fighting like, Oh no, go get the pocket aces, you know, like, or, you know, definitely take a picture early, but sure. it might not be the case, you know, this year. Now, one other thing I wanted to note on DC is that uh, I'm doing in my prep, like when I get my draft board together, like to start the season, probably only has about 900 guys on it to start. And then every draft I do, you know, when names come up that I don't have on my board, you know, I'm adding them in and then making sure I do a deep dive on every single player 
that, you know, why wasn't he on my board? You know, who is this? Why haven't I heard about him? Mm -hmm. And every, every year I uncover players that kind of eventually become targets of mine because just someone else took them and they're a smart guy. And why did they take them? And why, why am I not looking at this player? Wow. Awesome. That's a great tip. That's a great tip. Cause that's, that's just being aware of, 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 like you said, you know, just, just something that says that peaks your head up and said, where'd this guy come from? Why am I not on him? Like, why did this guy take him exactly? Exactly what you said. Um, That's, that's great. Cause I feel like that's also um, something that, um, part of like your characteristic at saying like, you know, I, I, I haven't covered everyone, right. You know, like you may have, not you personally, but people may have like an ego playing where it's like, nah, that, that guy's nothing. You know, like if I've he's never not, heard about him, he can't be any good. You know? Right. He can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the winner of everything, but uh, that's, that's, that's cool. Awesome. Great, great tip. Okay. So let's get into the main event. Like I mentioned prior, you, you had two teams last year. Um, one finished 30th overall, one finished 36th overall, both first place in. From what I remember from the standings, you won both leagues pretty, pretty good. Like pretty, um, they weren't so close, right? Up top. By the final, by the final day, yes. By the final day scoring. With a week to go, they were both kind of still hanging in the balance and, you know, even flipped a couple, one of them flipped a couple times during that last week. So gotcha. it ended up good, but yeah, there was some drama down the stretch. Who were your biggest um, uh, drivers for success last year on your teams? Okay, so before I get into the actual players that were the drivers of my success, I'm going to take a little tangent first here. Okay, good. So um, just to give a little bit of history, you know, I mentioned started playing the main event in 2009, got my first league title in 2011. I think it was like 31st overall, something like that. Uh, played in it every year for the next, you know, five, six years through 2015. Then it finally got to a point where the people who I was in with and were investing with me, we had two two main league titles by then and a couple other caches or one, one, one main title, a couple other caches, but they were like, you know, putting a lot of money into this. We'd rather not have all our eggs in one basket. Let's kind of spread it around, do more DCs, do more satellites. Okay. Not not really keep throwing all this money into the main where, you know, so much goes to the overall prize and that. So from 2016 to 2019, I didn't get to play in the main at all. And every year it killed me because that, that that's my passion. Like that's, that's the one I want. That that's, that's my thing. Uh, couldn't talk him into doing it. I didn't have the funds to do it on my own. So had to bow out of the main uh, prior to the 2020 season. I had won a free entry on one of those fan ball NFL contests or something that had a free main event entry up top. Okay. So I want a free, free entry into the main. I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm getting back in. I'm doing this. I dedicated myself before the 2020 season to more prep than I've ever done. Like okay. just every day, hardcore, everything, you know, 2020 season, two days before we're heading to Chicago for the draft, COVID shuts everything down. No draft, Whoa. no baseball, no nothing. All right. Rather than taking a break, you know, stayed on my game, still researched every day, just went at it as hard as I possibly could. You know, I, I found this, you know, this great, this pull hitter podcast that has all these great, <laughs> NF, all these great NFBC guys on just spouting all of this info. You know, I listen, I listen to everything, like every podcast I can find. I, I want to hear everything. I might, I might not use it all, but I'll absorb what I can. And I just want to, I want to hear it all. Right. So, you know, everything into this, by the time draft season actually rolled around and they lowered the price in the main, I was able to talk my 
investors, they're not even co-managers anymore because I'm doing a hundred percent of the work now. You know, they're, they're there to keep me from doing stupid things during the draft <laughs> and keep me, basically to keep me from beating myself and to keep me on track. Okay. But they're not, they're not doing any of the work with the team or in season or anything like that. But I talked them into, you know, we're already doing one main that I won for free. You know, we can pony up for a second one. Like we're going to do two mains this year. We're going to diversify the risk a little bit. Okay. So we did that. And then a day before the season started 2020, I threw in a third one just on a whim. Yeah. Because I wanted another one. So that first one, if I had only done that one, uh, Christian Yelich was a first round pick. It was awful. Finished in eighth in its league. Uh, Second one finished second in its league. And then the third one won its league. So first and a second and an eighth. But the bigger thing I took away from that was, you know, all the leagues were online that year. And it was intense competition. Phil Phil Dusso was in two of my three leagues that year. Rob Silver's in two of my three leagues. You got Casey Cha. You got Lindy. You got KJ Duke, Sean Childs, Scott Fleming, Steve Japinka. The best of the best in these leagues. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That that third one, that main event three, that was toe-to-toe with Casey Cha to the last day of the season. So to outlast him and come out on top, I'm like, all right, you know, th- this process, this system, this works. Like, we can do this. We're, we're going to come back with a vengeance next year, and we got this. But the That's other thing awesome. I took away is I don't want to fight all these guys every year. Like, there's something to be said about league selection. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this year, <laughs> prior to 2011, I'm like, all right, all of these guys are drafting in New York the first weekend. We're going to do an online main that day, that time, and we're going to avoid all the people drafting live in New York. Mm-hmm. All the people are drafting live in Vegas the second weekend. We're going to do the second main that day, that time online. Avoid <laughs> all those people. That's not to say that the competition wasn't strong in the leagues that we were in. Right. But it wasn't as strong as those as 2020 was with just sharks just attacking each other the entire year. Right. So, you know, league selection thing. It's... It's definitely a thing, right? A hundred percent. That that's that's awesome. First of all, great great story about the gap in 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 playing it because I can imagine if you know like just itching to play that again, yeah. and then and then that COVID you know um, and it hit too, right? And and like yeah. you mentioned, um, you didn't take your foot off the gas. You know, you just stayed on everything. And I felt like I was the same way too. By the time it came to drafting, in when it, whenever it was June, it, it was just like. I wanted to do so because I was like, I have all this knowledge. There's no way I'm not drafting, right? I put so much work into it. I just, I want to use it more. I want to right, right. do another one. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome. But yeah, the league, the league's election is is, is definitely, because um, like you said, you know, obviously you're going to be playing in a league with, with great players either way. But if you could limit the amount of Hall of Famers <laughs> in the right. league. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> You no, know, that that being said, we're we're probably going to do two this year, and we're we're making it out to Vegas for the first time, and we're going to do one of them there. So, kind of awesome. going away from that, but we'll see. Right, uh, right. As far as the actual players that kind of drove the success, so on the first one, the real key was getting the production in the middle rounds. Was okay. Was the key? I mean, it started started pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. <laughs> on Ooh, that nice. It was it was Garrett Cole to start. It was Luis Castillo in round two, okay. who was not great, and then okay, but overall not what you want from round two. 
And then round three, I'm sitting there. I'm like, Clayton Kershaw's there. Like, I don't want to go pitcher, 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 but Clayton Kershaw's there. And, you know, the guys who were in the room to keep me from doing something stupid, they're like, yeah, you can't start with three pitchers. I'm like, well, I just drafted Kershaw, so we got to figure out where to go. (laughs) (laughs) So we had that. And then, then I followed that up. I took Randy Rosarina in round four as my first bat, you know, a guy with like 20 major league games. And then I came back, <laughs> and then I came back with the role this Chapman in the fifth round. So it's like, I got to find some bats somewhere, I guess. Right. right. <laughs> Figure this thing out. Um, and I followed that up. I think Jose Altuve, JD Martinez at the six, seven turn. Okay. They were both great. Yep. Andreas Jimenez, Cabrian Hayes in eight, nine, both of them. Not so good. Hmm. Uh, and then one of the, one of the big drivers, Shohei Otani in round 10. Wow. Now he was taken there to be a pitcher for the most part. Interesting. We had JD Martinez in round seven. Right. So we got that utility spot locked up already. And like, we knew that Martinez would get outfield eligibility at some point. Right. But Otani was there to basically be our fourth starting pitcher and, you know, maybe we use him as a bat in the second half, or maybe we mix him in with JD if we need speed because we thought he'd run. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. Love, love the talent. Just wish I wouldn't have already had the utility because we missed out on a lot of good weeks waiting for him, waiting for JD. Yeah, yeah, wait. In the outfield. When did he get a JD? Like in July or August? It was, it was, it was, it was like June or July. June, maybe yeah, yeah. June or yeah. early July. It was pretty early because we, we looked and they had like, three interleague series on the road in the first half of the season. So right. like there's probably six games right there. We can just get a few more somewhere in there. Like this could happen. Right. So he, he was a big key. Uh, Mitch Hanniger in round 12. Mm, right. Big key. Hanniger was a guy he was a must have for me in every draft I did. Every single draft I got Hanniger. And I think the way we sought out to get him was we looked at, you know, ADP heading into the draft. And okay. rather than looking at, you know, actual ADP, we're just looking at that, that min and max pick. So we're looking at, you know, the earliest he went in any draft and we're basically targeting him around higher than that. So okay. just to start building a draft Hanniger in the 12th round, that's, that's where we started. <laughs> and that worked out great. And then uh, Robbie Ray in round 17, Ooh. obviously uh, a great one. It was a little earlier than he had gone in some other mains, but because we had that huge base with starting with three starting pitchers, we're like, he's going to give us K's and, you know, we got the ratios to handle it. So right. even if he just gives us the strikeouts, you know, he should deliver from there. Uh, and then following up from there, I mean, Candelario in round 18, you know, he wasn't great, but in round 18, that's way more than what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, got Buster Posey in round 20 and Ian Kennedy in round 23. Wow. And those were all huge picks in those yeah. little rounds there. Yeah, that's that's – like you said, you really have to hit in those middle rounds, you know, like a yeah. Or at the time when you're picking them, you know, it may not seem like they can carry your season or help to, but it's it's at the end of the year if you can get the the amount of save that Kennedy got from round twenty three and Otani's production, even though you didn't use all and Hanniger. Uh, Hanniger's a guy I missed last year for some reason. I didn't have him on any teams. Uh, he wasn't a target of mine. Uh, I completely whiffed there on on Hanniger. You know, I gotta. I that's one thing I should go back and look at why I wasn't in on specific guys. You know, I think um, not so much as you mentioned, like how you go back on your teams, and um, I should look at why I I didn't uh, completely dismiss a couple of players. 
Yeah. So then, uh, then on the other one, uh, was some of the same guys, uh, round nine, we got Salvador Perez. That was obviously huge. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. it was the middle rounds doing all the work. Um, and that was, that, that was, that was the two elite catcher pairing. Cause we had Rio Muto in round four in that one. So it was I Rio Muto that. and self Perez and they just dominated catcher production, just set it and forget it the entire year. Love that pairing. I had them in TGFBI, same same thing. And it, it's just like you said, it's just set it and forget it every week. Yeah, so it was, it was Perez in round nine. It was again Otani in round 10. Mm. This time it was for the whole package. We didn't have utility locked up. So, you know, we figured we could use him as a bat from day one. And we loved him there. Uh, again, Hanniger in round 12. Uh and then other hits in the middle round, uh, Ian Kennedy again, but this time it was in round 15 because this was a week later and there was, it was more likely that he was going to close for the Rangers. It was kind of a flyer in the first one. And then followed that up with Cronenworth in 16, Josh Rojas in 17, Eovaldi in 19, Candelario in 21, and National League RBI champ Adam Duvall in round 22. Boom. Those were all just huge, huge wins. Yeah, uh, that team started. That was that was a, we had the first pick in that draft. And we took Jake DeGrom. Uh, but then Luis Robert in round two, which was great when he played, but he missed a lot of the season. Uh, we held him through everything uh, and got all the production, but it was a zero for a long time. And then we hit on Corbin Burns in round three. Like I said, Rio Muto in four. Uh, some big misses. We had Plesak in six. We again had Cabrian Hayes in round seven. He was terrible. Uh, I mentioned that Hanniger was a must-have, and we got him in round 12 in both. I didn't add that Willie Castro was also a, much, a must-have for me. Yes, we, took, me we took him in the 13th or 14th in both drafts and got stuck with a lot of that for the year. So <laughs> there were misses in there, but just getting that kind of big production from those middle rounds is just – it's huge. Right. Absolutely. Especially what? Kennedy, because that, that second one, I missed on all the elite closers that I wanted. Okay. Our, our first one wasn't until Amir Garrett in round 11, and that worked out terribly. Oh, so yeah. it was just it was just Ian Kennedy and Fab trying to make that work the entire year. Right. Um, it, and that the, that the team you had 54 saves on? The, the yeah. lower? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I got enough. Like, but... right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. You got enough, to, but obviously... Um, I'm looking at your 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 two uh, team overall stats, and you just you killed it all across the board. Like it just great balance across your you know all your stat categories. That was your I think probably your your worst performance out of your old teams in 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 any category with that one save spot all year, all year. yeah, all year that it takes up so much of my that's, life. That's why I don't like to do it. Yeah, right, <laughs> like right. Get that, that elite guy and that stable guy, and just not chase it and waste all the money all year. Chasing waste, baby. Chasing waste. <laughs> Going to make a T-shirt out of it eventually. Well, I'll get around to it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Cabrian Hayes twice. How do you feel about Hayes this year? you feel like you can uh, go back in on him? you feeling confident about his skills or you, 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 you don't like it? Not sure yet. Right. I like how much he ran over the last couple of weeks of the season. I mean, if he's going to steal you know, 10, 15 bases. And if you know the wrist is healed and the power's back and he looks all right in the spring, Maybe I'll go back there, especially because third base is kind of a wasteland this year after the few top guys. It is. I might, I might do it. I, I haven't decided yet. He left some deep wounds because we held him all year in both, and he, he struggled for a lot of the season. Right. 
it's oh man that good old bias right it just hangs in there it's just he, he, he bites you bad and you're just yeah. like okay i'm not i'm not going back to you guy he's just uh you're a lot of it for weeks me. of like just just 240 and a run scored and nothing else and you're like come on guy right give, give me something right it was like he was um i was in like a one of the um the the cheaper auction leagues and he was dropped at one point you know by and i was just like you know your first thought when you see him in the pool and even though you, you know how bad he's doing like i'm gonna get him i'm gonna grab him you know <laughs> because he's gonna turn it around you know and it's just it. like you said it never came a lot of those empty empty weeks where he really didn't do too much uh man so I know he was a guy that I was really liking last year, and uh, I feel the same way. I don't know what to do with him this year. I did take him, I think, in um in a fifty in in the NFBC fifty, like late, you know, like in the one forty ish range. It's because, like you said, third base, you know, and I didn't address it yet, and I was like, well, <laughs> looks like a match made in heaven. Third base is is, is looking really risky. Um, it's interesting, but uh. What about some of your um, maybe uh, big fab moves or, or or maybe you have like a fab drop too that's like been on your mind? Like, oh, I can't believe I dropped that guy. I absolutely have one of those for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as good moves, on, on the first one, uh, Tyler O'Neill uh, for 44 Ooh, bucks. Was nice. Absolute monster. It was after he got hurt the first time somebody dropped him. We didn't even wait for him to get healthy. We just picked him up that first week. And he was a monster for us for most of the, the season. Like he carried our team, especially down the stretch. Uh, Ranger Suarez, we had on that one, both mm -hmm. as a reliever and a starter, never dropped him. And he was great. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, we picked up pretty early in the year. Um, because we had Jimenez and he looked really bad the first two weeks. Yeah. We're like, you know, Rosario might just steal that job and get the full time at bats. And, and then at least we have whoever's playing. Let's just hope one of them claims the job and runs with it. So that was great. Um, Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt is a guy that we've had a love-hate relationship with forever. You know, we draft a guy every year, and every year he underperforms for us. We drafted him in this draft. We cut him after the first week. And then we picked him up again later in the season, just before he was coming back from the injured list, and caught his massive power stretch down down the stretch just That's kind great. of paying us back for underperforming for like seven years yeah great <laughs> two weeks gets back seven years yeah uh, <laughs> we also uh herman marquez we picked up uh off of fab uh, for like 115 somewhere in there uh domingo herman right around the same amount those were like the biggest ads like i don't think we spent more than 140 on anybody on that team all season uh, we also grabbed zach Plesak down the stretch after he came back from his you know broken finger from aggressively taking his shirt off or whatever it was. Yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, he, he, won, he won a few games for us down the stretch. So that was good. Uh, as far as the worst move on that one. And in that write-up that I did, I, I dwell on this one a lot. Cause this is just terrible. Like I, as I'm recapping every week, I'm going through like, wow, Willie Castro still terrible. Here's what he did this week. We should really cut this guy. Oh, look, we held on to Willie Castro. He was terrible again this week. Why are we hanging on to him? We should cut this guy. Oh, Andres Jimenez was demoted. We should drop him too. So what do we do? We drop Jonathan India, who we drafted in round 28. Oh, we, 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 we hold on to him for the first eight weeks. He's still hitting at the bottom of the lineup. Senzel's healthy at the time and seeing a few starts at second base. Moustakis is healthy. 
So India's losing a few starts and he's hitting at the bottom of the lineup. Some reason we think let's drop this guy instead of Willie Castro or Jimenez. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to make it worse, we dropped him to pick up Danny Santana, who is a guy we liked for a long time with the power and speed. But like I spent like 78 bucks on Danny Santana and dropped Jonathan India for it. Like <laughs> just, just brutal. Just the worst possible move all around that you could ever make. <laughs> Oh, the rookie of the year, Jonathan India. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. yeah uh, on I, the other one, the other one, big moves we had, uh, we got Frank Swindell down the stretch, and he was obviously a monster. Yeah, he's a stud. Uh, we got we got Chris Sale several weeks early. We didn't have to pay much for him. He was like 20 bucks. And okay. We got everything from him. We got Luis Garcia early, and he was a rock in our rotation. Again, Ranger Suarez, we picked him up on both. And he gave us some of the saves we needed. Dylan Floro gave us some of the saves we needed. Michael Givens gave us some of the saves we needed. Kind of just patch that one together. Uh, Worst ad, biggest mistake on that one was, again, Danny Santana. Same week. (laughs) He comes up for that weekend. He homers the first day. He homers and steals a base the next day. We're like, yes, let's do it. He's back. He's back. (laughs) And just terrible. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) Danny Santana. Oh man. It's, it's, uh, I got, I love those stories where it's just, you know, just, you feel like, wow, this guy's going to take me to glory. And then it's just not Danny Santana doing Danny Santana things. Yeah. <laughs> so then you where, jump. Okay. Yeah, sorry. The guys I have who are, who I'm talking to about Fab, who are keeping me from doing dumb things. They're like, never Danny Santana. Like, what are you doing? Like, just take him off the bid list altogether. Like, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? <laughs> Yeah, he he. I feel like I'm always like, you know, going through the list and like getting guys to go into the watch list, and I'm just like, Danny Santana, should I put him in there? Yeah. <laughs> it's always a question. So, um, are are you uh, um, you, you your overall Fab strategy? Uh, are you not afraid to be aggressive early if it fills a need, or like, are you looking to save? Do you allot yourself a certain amount per week um, or want to save a oh, certain amount for the yeah. end of the year? So we don't have a fixed amount that, that I try to use per week, but I am not afraid to be aggressive early if it's the right player and we have a need. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just so happened to work out that when we did try to go big, you know, we, we were not high enough and that our biggest bids were in that, you know, 140, 150 range. And we just added a lot of guys, you know, in between, you know, 10 and 40 and just kind of, you know, probably picked up two, three guys a week, every week for the entire year, streaming hitters in and out. And I think there's just a lot more wiggle room that way to even luck into, you know, a long-term help than, you know, wasting, you know, four or 500 bucks on one guy and putting all your eggs into just that guy succeeding. Good point. Right. Great point. I think that's, uh, and, and also too, uh, you know, I, one of the, big steps I took this year was learning that, you know, the Monday to Thursday, Friday to Sunday breakdown, you know, taking advantage of, of, of scooping guys up who, who fit that, you know, spurt of time and um, not just the week in general to break it down in, in, into three parts uh, per se. Um, felt like that was one of the first, one of the first things I learned in the, in the main event league that I got smoked in. It was like, 
why is this guy getting picked up? You know, it's like just little things like that. <laughs> of course for four games. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But, but there. even when it wasn't so <laughs> obvious, you know, I wanted to know why, like, you know, like what is this guy going to do? And, and just go back and be like, Oh, okay. So he was facing, you know, even if it wasn't Coors and even if it wasn't in a great uh, um, venue, it was like, oh, he was facing these three, you know, terrible pitchers or something. There was yeah. something there, you know, there was something there that I was missing. And I, those are the things that I wanted to get better at for sure. Or, you know, benching your uh, a better player for two, you know, that has two games and the Monday to Thursday for a guy who has four, you know, and, and doing those things where in your brain, you're like, I'm not going to bench Rafael Devers, you know, yeah. or, you know, I think a couple of times it, it, it definitely came back on me where I'm like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Right. Like Guild said last week with Guerrero, you know, that huge week, you know, never again. Right. You gotta, right. It'll come back and get you. Like it was, we had, we had a Rosarina on that first one and Austin Meadows on the second one. And the Rays playing stupid lineup games where they're sitting guys all the time for no reasons. You know, every Monday would roll around and one of them would be out of the lineup. So it's like, all right, one of these guys for two games or this guy for four. So we sat a Rosarina in Austin Meadows a lot more than we had planned to just because Kevin Cash going to Kevin Cash and not play his guys. Yeah. That's um, he's, oh man, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It, that's definitely yeah. a frustrating, you know, part of uh, fantasy dealing with managers like that, you know? Um, so let's get into some uh, early 2022 stuff. I, so I know you're a part of the premature draftulation, which is, yes an excellent uh, league name, by the way. And you guys uh, start your draft uh, during the postseason, if I'm not mistaken? No, we start earlier season. We start on the final Friday of the regular season, right after lineups lock. So wow. right after you get that last lineup is it's go time. <laughs> wow. We've been, we've been doing that. Dan Canyon started that. I think I was in it the first year, but if not, I was in it the second year, but I've been doing it every year since 2011. And wow. it's always been, it's always been the first draft of the season and it's also kind of used to, I don't know how much it is anymore, but it was kind of used to set the initial ranks on the actual, you know, the, the draft board that's, you know, in the draft room, mm-hmm. like they needed some data for that. So we would do a draft and populate it and that's where it would start and adjust from there, which is good and bad because I'm always afraid to take my guys early because if I take my guys early and that's where he ends up on that pre-draft rank list, and that's where he there. always is, then he's going to stay there and move up and I'm not going to get my value on him. So every year in that draft, like I just let my guys go by because I don't want to pay the price to get them. And then mm. during the real draft season, I kind of get them. You know, that's interesting. Down. No, that's wow. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. Because uh, I was going to say, it, it, it's an awesome league. I said, we've been doing it since 2011. At least half the people that did it in 2011 are still in the league now. Okay. So, I mean, Solid. that's, that's really, and, and there's, you know, a ton of, of good players like Lindy's in that league. Uh, Todd Zola and Derek Van Riper share a team in that league. Brian mm-hmm. Vogel, John Stadmuller, like there's, there's good competition there. Wow. It, <laughs> How do you, so um, that's interesting about the whole taking your guy early thing, because, you know, you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to be able to not get your guys that, you know, at at a better value by taking them. So you just everybody, like, 
everybody is biased to that list that's right. on your screen in the draft room. And you don't want to push your sleepers up that list so they stay there. So it's like So it's like it's your it's your chance to draft like maybe a sort of contrarian team for you or kind of like yeah. the guy you want, but just not really as aggressive right. as me. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Cause yeah, because I mean, just, that was one of my questions, like, you know, prepping for a draft without ADP, you know, is is I feel like some people struggle with it and, you know, anyone who has a solid pro- uh, process may be able to walk into it with a little more of an ability to understand where maybe guys should go, but it, it definitely, um, you know, how do you, uh, I guess, is it trying to eliminate a lot of like recency bias um, that happened to at the end of the year? Because I know that's, that's gotta be a big part of what drives a lot of the draft, right? trying to as much as possible. Um, yeah. Like I said, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll pull the data like a week before and just put it into my model and see what it spits out for next year. Just so I at least have a board and something to start with. And then I'll have to go back and do it all again. You know, once the season actually ends and I have the real numbers, but, but I'll do that just to give me something to work off of, but I'll also pull in, like I have a tab in there that will have, you know, ADP from last year, you know, and every couple of rounds I'll switch and I'll filter, I'll sort it by last year's ADP because you know, maybe these guys didn't pop because they didn't play this year. There's, you know, no data to go off of, but he was a third rounder last year and it's round 12 and everybody forgot that he exists mm. because every year in this draft that happens like yeah. injured players or players who didn't play or severely underperformed always kind of slip through the cracks. And they're like, Oh, I forgot about that guy. He should have gone three rounds ago. Right. Right. It's kind of like, um, I know Ron Chandler had that like extreme regression drafting, you know, like that's kind of like basically the similar thing, just for those guys who all of a sudden in, in, you know, a full calendar year has been a completely, you know, 180 on their ADP. Um, as far as, as far as recency bias, like I'm now, uh, I've kind of developed into the Casey Cha school of thought that, you know, before drafts every year, there's a good chunk of players that I'm just crossing off completely, whether it's injury concerns, whether it's just not a guy that I want for whatever reason, whether it's skill set opportunity. I mean, there's maybe 30% of the board that is just crossed off for me before even going into a draft. That's awesome. My co-managers hate me for that, but like, (laughs) that's me. They're like, well, there's some point where if he falls this many rounds, like you got to consider him. I'm like, if he falls that many rounds, 14 guys passed on him that many times for some reason. Bingo. Bingo. I'm not going to take him just because he fell. I'm going to get my guys and I'm going to win or lose with my guys, regardless of what it is. Right. Uh, but every year, every year I start fresh, you know, if, if I had crossed a guy off the previous year, I'll at least go back in rather than just, you know, Oh, this guy's dead to me. Cross him off the board to start. I'll at least do a deep dive on every player before the year starts. And you know, Maybe he gets crossed off again. Maybe I see something like, you know, maybe I was wrong about this guy. Maybe, you know, maybe I saw something that changed my mind. Like Vlad Guerrero. I was not on Vlad Guerrero last year. Yeah. I hadn't crossed off my board. I just wasn't going to pay that price. I hadn't seen it. He's not going to be crossed off my board this year. <laughs> like unlike a lot of people that had success this year, I was not on any of the Blue Jays offense. Hmm. On either of my main event teams, I did not have a single Blue Jay offensive player. I had Robbie Ray, but I didn't have any offense. I was off of Bichette. I was off of Guerrero. I liked Teoscar Hernandez, but I didn't get him. Um, I know that drove a lot of people's success. And right. I'm watching them score 10 runs a game. I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. 
<laughs> you didn't have any of those guys to enjoy that for. Yeah, I had I had a bunch of Simeon, but I didn't have anybody else. Maybe some late Grichuk, uh, but that's it. You know, I didn't I didn't get the Bichette or the Vlad either. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, all right, so let's let's just hit the maybe some ADP. Uh, just looking at uh some you know some players out there right now. I wanted to ask you about Shane Bieber, who's um coming in at ADP tw- um twenty eight overall right now, uh as high as twenty three, as low as forty one. Um, how are you assessing Shane Bieber going into the season? Um, I think he's an interesting name to watch as the draft season progresses. Um. I like that he was able to work his way back and actually make two starts in September. I know they were only three innings each, but I at least liked that he made it back to where, you know, you, you have to think that he's going to have no limitations during the off season. He's going to go through his regular routine. And if he's healthy, if he's, if his velocity is all right during the spring, it's probably someone I'm going to have interest in. Um, in that premature draft, I grabbed him in the second round. It was okay. funny. Um, hmm. And I could see, taking him there maybe even a little earlier uh, if he looks healthy in the spring I could see maybe you know taking him at the one two turn if if you know he's fully healthy and ready to go right hmm. it's interesting yeah he, he, he I feel like you know like you said if if he's working his way back and you see something right now because you know it's, it's interesting seeing him and the Grom obviously the Grom has his issues too but you know uh, they're close in close in ADP but in reality, if they were both healthy, they would be nowhere right. near this this range right here. So if they work their way to health, uh, anyone grabbing those guys in the second round or walking away with some some excellent values, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like in, in most of my drafts, I've been coming to a point in the draft where I'm looking at the rest of the outfield, like, like after round 20, and I'm just like, what happened to the outfield? Um, I don't know if it's just uh, like free agents that are like hanging the balance of, of shifting, you know, uh, some of the ways I'm, I'm looking at the playing time for them, or it's just really different from last year. Um, what do you think about the outfield right now? I am right with you on that. Uh, it, it, it falls off a lot quicker than it, it seems to in, yeah. in recent years. Uh, it's definitely not as deep as it used to be. Maybe it's, you know, so many platoon situations and, you know, maybe just so many spots up in the air right now. But with everybody starting five of them, it it thins out quick. Um, right. Yeah. One area in these early drafts that I found myself really kind of looking is that like pick like 170 to like 210 in that range seems to have a lot of guys that I like or I'm interested in. Uh, Akil Badu is a, a guy that I got in a few early drafts, but Eddie Rosario, Avi Garcia, Benintendi, Austin Hayes, Solaire, Ian Happ, like Joey yep. Gallo, like all kind of in that group. Right. I find myself kind of trying to grab two or three from there. And I'm usually, I'm finishing out my outfield a lot quicker than I normally would for sure. Right. Yeah. That is, that is a nice group right there. Like even, even Conforto. Um, yeah. yeah. Obviously I have It's just a guy I don't understand how, uh, how he's that far down. You know, he's just, I don't I know. He's just certain of him not having a team right now. I think. Yeah, you I think, think once, once he signs somewhere and you know where he's going to be, he's going to shoot up for sure. Right, especially if he doesn't get um, as you know he dealt with some injuries, but you know he also got platooned a lot. I feel like with the Brewers, yeah. there was some times where I'm like, why is this guy out of the lineup? He'd be, you know, 
<laughs> there was a couple of incidents that during the year where he was just had an awesome three straight game, you know, maybe like nine, like eight, nine RBIs and like rest. And I'm like, why? <laughs> but why? <laughs> you know, the guy's smoking the ball. Yeah. Put him back in there. But yeah. And like he, I'm a I'm a Tigers fan. So, you know, I got to watch him come up and you know, I've, I've had love for the guy for a long time. Like he was going to be the savior. And then, you know, to see him not succeed here and go off and then finally grow into the tools and you know be the guy we thought he was going to be. Tiger fan, so you got to be excited about what's happening with the team right now, right? You guys are coming into like a nice little youth movement, plus uh, you know possible influx of of um, of of you know you got Erod and now well, maybe make a push for Carlos. Is that the move that you want to see them make? Go for a shortstop. I'd like to see him get a shortstop. I've never been a Correa guy, right? But especially if it's going to be north of three hundred million, that's not my money. I mean, they need a shortstop for sure. Uh, he would add a lot, especially defensively, and fit nicely in the middle of the lineup. So, yeah, go and get him. But but if not, if it's Semyon, if it's, you know, Javi Baez, just anybody. Anybody's an upgrade over what we're going to be throwing out there right now. If not, if they don't make a move at shortstop, well, what are they doing? It's You're going to try Willie Castro there Willie again? Castro season, yes. Uh, prob- <laughs> probably not. <laughs> It's probably it's probably Ryan Kreidler who's at AAA. Uh, we had a okay. decent year, kind of an all-around guy. He's the guy I've been taking in the 50th round of DCs, just in case they don't make that move. Wow, nice move. Yeah. How do you feel about Torkelson and Green and Riley Green? You think they're going to be up kind of early or kind of sometime in the middle of the season? Uh, I love both of them for yeah. sure. Uh, we drove down, uh, caught a Mudhens game in Toledo this year, and got to see both of them live. And it was just, it was awesome. I think, I think Riley Green's going to be up pretty much from day one. I think they just don't have the options in the outfield right now. And I don't think they're going to try to spend there that he's going to be up right away. Uh, Torkelson might depend on, you know, what happens in the CBA negotiations. Uh, If there is a super two deadline, maybe they're going to try to wait and get that extra year of team control. But if, if they do away with that and he can be with the team from the jump, uh, I mean, it's not like there's anyone better ahead of him who's going to be taking those at-bats. So get his bat in the lineup and let him learn on the fly. Right, right. And and are you throwing shame on Victor Reyes' his name, Dave? I am, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Victor Reyes and Derek Hill and the ghost of Jacoby Jones and whoever else they want to throw out there. Yeah. Yeah, take them all. <laughs> oh, Victor Reyes. I, even when he, he had that brief moment, I think when he came back from his uh, peck or right before he heard his peck, where he's just like yeah. kind of finding, you know, just all it takes is him to have three <laughs> good games for me. And I'm like, that's it. It's time. Victor Reyes is taking off. Yeah. I'm here. Oh, man, he was, he was a big target of mine too. Him and Castro were on a bunch of my teams last year. Castro on that first main event team where I held on to him and dropped India. Eventually a few weeks later, I did finally drop him. And then three weeks after that, I picked him back up. Hmm. I put myself through that for the rest of the season because uh. he was back and he was playing every day again. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta quit him. I gotta stop doing it. <laughs> and the multi-eligibility, you know, is Admit also your big... mistake and move on. <laughs> right. 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 Absolutely. Oh man. Okay. Let's, um, Talk to me about three guys I want to 
um, bring up Cody Ballinger, Christian Yellick, and Glaber Torres. What are you doing with the kind of, um, you know, bad year or bad two-year stretch from from these kind of guys? You know, I don't know if you were, you know, on these players previously, but how do you handle when, uh, I guess, uh, you know, like we mentioned before, such a big difference in in ADP and how, how players are looking at them? So this goes back to, I mean, this is a good example of what I said when, you know, I'm starting each season fresh and I'm not automatically crossing anybody off my list because last year, all three of these guys were off the list. They were not targets of mine heading into the season. Okay. Yelich may have been a personal bias because he tanked that first main event where I took him in the first round the year before. And I just, I didn't want to go through that again. Uh, you know, but big believer in what Ron Chandler, you know, says that, you know, once a player displays the skill, he owns it. He can get mm. that back. Yep. And, you know, these guys have displayed those skills. They've had, you know, elite seasons. It's well within their true range of outcomes. So maybe, uh, Yelich, I think Yelich is a little different because I, I think it's the back injuries. I, I don't think it's a skills thing with him. Yeah. And if he looks healthy, I could see myself going back. I took him in the premature draft. I think it was in the seventh round, maybe around there, just because of the ceiling, I could see myself taking a shot. Right. Torres is interesting because he finished the season pretty strong. Like a lot he of did. people gave up on him because he was terrible for the first three, four months, but he, he finished the season strong. I can't imagine that he repeats that stolen base total. But if he makes up for it by bringing some of the power back, you know, maybe where he's currently being drafted, I could see myself buying in. I'm probably just not going to touch Bellinger. I'll look into him, but he, he's probably a no for me. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're all interesting cases. Uh, like I said, Torres did, did, did end up the year pretty strong with uh, three homers and four stolen bases uh, in his last 130 <laughs> at bat. And he was hitting the ball a lot, a lot harder than he was previously. Um, Yelich, I got a, 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 I think like a about a ninety pick ninety five ish of him this year. Um, again, I just figured out that spot. Um, yeah. he, even if it's like, even if I get like you know twenty homers, uh, eight steals, and a decent average, I felt like that was a decent baseline. And if he comes back, you know, then great. But uh, because I feel like if he does show some help, and obviously his price is gonna go back up. And Bellinger, yeah, Bellinger. He's the one guy I think out of that group, you know, the Torres wasn't a guy that I targeted at all. I sure it's going way too high. And I thought he would perform a little bit the previous year, but um, at this spot too, it's just, um, you know, thinking the one fifties is interesting spot for him, but Bellinger. Yeah. I, I don't know. He, I can't, I don't know what it is with him, but uh, showed I'm a little bit him. during the postseason, a little right. bit. Right. But, <laughs> but he's been, awesome. He's been batting like sixth and seventh since last, like two years ago, yeah. World Series. Like, you know, it didn't start like all last year. It was starting previously to that at the end of uh, 2020. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, interesting case right there. Because like you said, you know, those skills are there. We know that, you know, the 40-10, uh, 40-20 possibility is there. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he just had some. Maybe his body was just really banged up last year, and mm-hmm. given that. But he changed. He he changed a ton of things. You know, he changed his, his batting stance. He changed where yeah, he no stood reason. in the right, right. But no, like reason. you had all the success. Let's go and change your stance and tinker everything. Why, so why try odd. to repeat what you just did? 
So odd. All right. So I'm going to give you uh, some some quick would you rathers um, for ADP. So shortstop, we have Correa at 95, Jorge Polanco at 100, and Dan B. Swanson at 115. Who do you like out of this group if you were to just take one? Probably Polanco, I would say. Then Swanson and then Correa last of that group. Okay. Um, Just because... I want at least some speed for my middle infielders and Correa okay. doesn't want it all. Uh, on top of that, it worries me a little bit that, you know, he has this career year in a contract year. He's going to be playing somewhere new, new organization, a lot of pressure on him. Uh, probably just not for me. Got it. I like it. Yeah. I think, um, Jorge is uh, an interesting case this year. You know, he had a monster season last year and it's almost like his ADP right now is, is, is almost like, I feel like could be a little higher, but uh, he, he's going there, I guess where the Simeon range started last year, right? 190. So he could get like another, you know, possible, you know, bump up if he, cause I think, I think his ankles just were really destroying his, his output and he just looks like he's really healthy. Um, all right, second base, Jazz Chisholm at 70, Altuve 78, Catal Marte at 79, and Brandon Lowe at 83. Who do you like out of this group? That's uh, a fun group. Um, it is a fun group. And it's, it's probably a place where I'm going to be shopping for second base. Uh, you know, there are, there are some rumblings that Marte could get moved. And if he does, for sure, he would jump to the top of the list for me. He might be there already. Um, but for sure, if he moves and is out of that Diamondbacks lineup, he'd be the top guy. I think it's crazy that Brandon Lowe is still going at or below his cost from last year <laughs> after the monster season that he just had. Right. <laughs> like everyone's just like, eh, whatever, keep him where he is. Um, for sure. If you're looking for power there and don't need the speed, uh, if you do need more of the speed jazz obviously fits, um, he kind of struggled down the stretch, petered out over the last few months. But maybe, especially if he's sitting near the top of the lineup, uh, probably I'd go Marte, Low, Jazz, and then Altuve at the end. Interesting. And I love Altuve. I mean, he I took him in the sixth round, and he helped win me a main event last year with right. his power coming back. But that's all he gives is, is the power. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. At second base, you know, you got the early Albies, and like you said, that that area that we're talking about right now is 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 pretty good spot for I think. And then even that, even after that, it's kind of just like it, like third base. You know, it kind of I don't know. It, it the the bats are just re- really uh, odds so far. I'm not comfortable. I'm not. I haven't found the comfortable um, route drafting yet. But uh, all right. So here's we're gonna end the show with. Um, you just give me a pitcher and a hitter. Um, it doesn't have to be the guy that you're going to get, but maybe it could be any guy that's going past 380 feet right now that maybe just maybe might give you a shot at top hundred value. Yeah, what do you got? Sure. All right. So they're definitely not guys that I'm probably going to be drafting, but definitely guys who have a path to returning that kind of value. Uh, for hitters, one of them would be Victor Robles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a guy who was drafted well inside the top 100 in the main event last year. He's got all the tools to make the jump. He has the elite speed, decent power. He can give you five categories, uh, terrific prospect pedigree. He's still just 24 years old. Uh, if, he, if he gets another chance to play every day, and there's really no reason for the Nationals not to do that, uh, I could see him making that kind of jump and delivering that kind of value. Uh, I like it. 
couple, a couple other guys who I think could, if everything goes right, uh, Nick Solak as a guy burned a lot of people this year. Right. And I think, I think Mike Moustakis, if he's healthy, has enough power that he, he could make it happen. I like that more. The moose, the moose is an interesting one for sure. Because uh, if if he gets his feet underneath him too, that just uh, was a massive power threat for you know for deep in the draft like that. Sure, I I got a grudge against him too because I picked him up. I fabbed him (laughs) in both. I fabbed him in both leagues this year. You know, like two weeks before he was supposed to come back the first time. Like this is going to solve my RBI problems, get, get in at middle infield, replace Willie Castro on both teams. Like this is the guy. And then I picked him up and he sat for a couple of weeks and then he finally played and was terrible. And I eventually had to cut bait and just gave me nothing. It was awesome. <laughs> oh man. What about some pitches? Um, if he's healthy, Strasburg uh, for sure could do that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, if, if, but again, if he's healthy and throwing well during the spring, his ADP is going to surge way higher than 300. Mm-hmm. So that really doesn't count. Uh, depending on where he lands, I, I know he's older than dirt, but Rich Hill, uh, if he's able to keep the blister issues at bay, he, he's shown that he can do that. Uh, one interesting one in a different direction, maybe Dylan Bundy. Uh, mm. He's a guy who was going just outside the top hundred in main event leagues last year. We obviously know the entire season was a disaster. The wheels completely fell off for him. I think the shoulder issue was a lot bigger deal than he let on. I think that played a big role in the poor results. If he's healthy, if the velocity looks good, if he's throwing the ball well during the spring, I think he's the type of guy who could make that kind of leap. I like it. I like that call. Ah, that's, that's a decent one right there for sure. Cause, uh, and, you know, even the Strasburg, because like you mentioned, you know, uh, anyone drafting right now, then that's what we're trying to look at. You know, anyone who might be deeper in that draft that that can, uh, you know, just give you that that output that is just awesome from, you know, that spot in the draft. So um, and, and, and Strasburg and Bundy have, you know, have shown that, you know, they can do it. Um, just health and a Strasburg case and Bundy, um, you know, you just got to stop throwing up in the mound. That was uh that was a terrible situation for him this year. <laughs> he, poor guy, he was just sweating and he, he wasn't having a good time out there. But um, awesome. All right, Dave, I, I really I don't want to take up any more of your time, um, but I really appreciate you coming on. I think this was this was fantastic. I think it gave the listeners a ton of good stuff that they'll be able to roll with going forward and getting better in their fantasy game. So, um, again, much appreciated of you to come out and, um, and share some time with me. And um, again, just remind everyone where they could find your work right now and where they could find you on Twitter. And yeah. if they want to ask you any um, fantasy baseball questions. Yeah, sure. So again, on Twitter, it's just at Dave Chauvin. Uh, you can find my work at NBC sports edge. Uh, a lot of what I do, you don't see with my name on it. Cause I'm just the guy doing the player blurbs a lot of the time. So you're, everybody's reading my stuff, but they don't know who it's coming from. <laughs> like I said, uh, the article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago that focused on the NFBC main event and really kind of goes through that week by week breakdown. If you're just getting into it, you know, there's a lot of great info in there. I would urge you guys to check that out. Um, and again, Rob, I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, with the, the murderers row of heavy hitters that you had on this podcast last year and already this year, you know, I, I feel honored just to, just to be invited as a guest. So I appreciate yeah. it. Awesome, man. You should feel uh, definitely 
honored to feel part of it because like you said there's been some some really you know some hall of fame type uh players and good players all around but i mean you you've proven that you're you're a part of that group and um i i think just just hearing you give the answers you know I, i'm taking notes and i think i think a lot of other people will definitely get better but just by listening to some of the tips that you gave so um i appreciate it and maybe as the season gets closer we could hop on again and uh, we'll do something, you know, uh, give, um, you know, some more insight as the season gets closer. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Sweet, Dave. All right, man. Thanks a lot for hanging out, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All thank right. you. All righty, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to the Poor Hitter Podcast. Uh, thanks for everyone who showed continual support of the show um, and gives me great feedback and reaching out through DMs or leaving a wonderful review or rating. Um, really appreciate to everyone who takes the 13 to 82 seconds to, you know, fill out a rating or review. goes a long way and um, really means a lot to me. So once again, everyone have a happy Thanksgiving um, and don't be a bag of shit.